Good morning, Pillar. My name is David Sutherland. I am one of the elders here at the church. I've been asked to lead this week's journey through the book of Galatians. I'd like to deliver this in person, but considering the circumstances, we'll, we'll take what we can get. So let's go ahead and dig into the gospel of freedom. Where is your hope this morning? Are you walking around with a burden of guilt for the sins you have committed? Does your walk with Jesus weigh you down or give you joy? Does guilt or joy characterize your Christian walk? This morning, we are going to interact with Paul's message to the Galatians. We will see how Christianity should not be characterized as burdensome, but rather characterized by joy and hope. It can only be characterized by joy and hope because of the grace of God. Regardless of where you are in your Christian walk, understanding grace is of utmost importance. Grace is a foundation and hope of our Christian faith. Grace is the reason we are here today. Without grace, the Christian faith is fundamentally changed to a religion of law-following, failure, and despair. Basically, we no longer have Christianity if we do not have grace. Since the times of the early church, Christians have been struggling with understanding and believing this concept. Nearly all of the books of the New Testament touch on this in some form or fashion, but the discussion of grace defines the book of Galatians. Today we will see how the Apostle Paul passionately rebukes the Galatians for their reliance on the law for their salvation instead of relying on the grace of God. Paul will tell the Galatians and us that grace is the hope of the Christian faith. That is the theme of my talk this morning. Grace, not law following, is the hope of the Christian faith. To support this idea, we will see how embracing the law as our hope nullifies grace. It is also foolish and it brings with it a curse. Point number one, grace is the hope of the Christian faith, and to embrace the law as our hope nullifies grace. To embrace the law as our hope nullifies grace. Basically, grace is no longer grace. Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We'll read verse 21. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I, Paul, do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is saying this. If we try to earn our salvation by works of the law, we nullify the grace of God. The word law could be defined this way. Laws are a list of mandates and prohibitions that, when obeyed, will keep you in the good graces of the, those in authority over you. When you are living under the law, there are strings attached. These strings are what is different between the law and grace. Grace is a free, no-strings-attached gift. Christ freely died for us, and he freely saved us, and he freely sustains us. We had nothing to do with this transaction. 
We know Paul says this to the Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace has nothing to do with our behavior or our merit. Grace is completely unmerited favor. If this is true, then when we try to follow the law, any law, to earn our keep, we imply that God's grace has conditions, and we therefore make grace not grace at all. If I give my wife flowers and do so out of love with no qualifiers, then she will receive them with joy and appreciation. But what if I gave her the flowers with this condition? I am giving you these flowers, but you must continue to serve me and meet all of my needs. Otherwise, I'm going to take them back. I have just nullified the gift. She won't even want the flowers anymore because they will no longer be a free gift. The flowers have now become a burden. Paul is saying the same thing about God's gift of salvation. He is saying that God's gift of salvation is no longer a gift if we must earn it. If we must earn our status in God's family, then Christ died for no reason, and his gift is no longer a gift. Paul has now completed his summary of the gospel and turns to his direct plea to the Galatians. Paul opens chapter 3 with my second point. Point number two is this. Grace is the hope of the Christian faith, and to embrace the law as our hope is foolish. To embrace the law as our hope is foolish. It has been said that Galatians is Paul's most passionate letter. Chapter 3 makes this obvious. Let's read Galatians 3, 1 to 9 together. Galatians 3, 1 to 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the flesh? Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. In modern talk, Paul says, Seriously, guys, what are you doing up there in Galatia? Have you lost your minds? Have you been put under someone's spell? Because what you are doing makes no sense at all. When you received the Holy Spirit, was it because you were such good law followers? I didn't come to you saying, Come look at our great law and follow it. No, I came and preached you a gospel, a gospel that says God has a free gift for you. 
Also, my message was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. There were and are miracles occurring in your midst. Your salvation experience alone was a miraculous gift. um, Yet now you think you have to earn your place in God's kingdom? Through my message, you saw the beauty and reality of Christ's death on the cross. You knew then that it was Jesus' work that saved you. Look, even Abraham was saved by faith. He put his faith in God's promises, and God declared him righteous. God declared him perfect. This wasn't just a one-time deal. No, righteousness was credited to Abraham's account permanently. In the same way, you Galatians were saved. Yet now you want to depend on the law for your status? I gotta say, guys, this makes no sense at all. If our, if our salvation is a miraculous intervention to save us, then it doesn't make any sense that we would now have to earn that salvation. Paul is pointing out the illogical nature of what the Galatians are doing. We too need this lesson. When we become Christians, we admit our helplessness to save ourselves. Yet then we turn to self-reliance and think we can help ourselves. This is illogical. Martin Luther lived a famously disciplined life before and after his conversion. But his reason for living a disciplined life were very stark. Before he was converted, he tried to earn his salvation through his disciplines. He felt a need. He felt a need to earn his salvation. But after he was saved, he lived a disciplined life because he had tasted the beauty of grace. The beauty of Christ's work on the cross became real to him. And he couldn't get enough. He realized he could bring nothing to the table, and he was completely dependent on God's grace to sustain him. He felt a relief of the burden of trying to earn his salvation. All he wanted to do now was worship God, serve God, obey God, pray to God, learn about God, and share the message of God. As a Christian, he lived a grace-based life, not a works-based life. That is what Paul is calling the Galatians back to. He is calling the Galatians back to a grace-based life. To do this, he pointed out the foolishness of the path the Galatians were choosing. Now, though, he turns to the law and its curse to continue his passionate plea. Which brings me to point number three. Point number three is this. Grace is the hope of the Christian faith, and to embrace the law as our hope is to accept a curse. To to embrace the law as our hope is to embrace a curse. Let's read Galatians 3, 10 to 14 together. Galatians 3, 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Continuing in his passionate tone, Paul is saying, careful what you ask for, because guess what? You will fail under the law. And as a result, you will be cursed, literally thrown into hell. This is not good. No, Christ received the curse for you, which freed you from the law. Christ received the curse. This is what we celebrated together when I was there with you. This is what gave you great joy. It gave you such joy to know you were free from the law and that you were relieved of the curse that comes from not following the law. You were free because Christ received that curse. Now you want to return to the curse? On a side note, a Christian is not an exceptional person and therefore is saved and made perfect in God's eyes. No, Christians are repentant sinners who realize they are sinners and have put their faith in Jesus. If you are watching this video today and you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in the work of Jesus and the promises of God, then I want you to know that there are only two paths, a path that is cursed and a path that is blessed. If your hope is in anything other than Christ, then you are on the path that is cursed, the path that leads to death. Back to our passage. We see Paul pointing out what the Galatians are choosing. If they choose to rely on the law, they are choosing to be cursed. Paul says, if you place yourself under the law and don't follow it perfectly, which again you can't, then you are asking to be cursed. Here Paul is using a negative to shine light on the positive. Life under grace is far superior, superior to life under the law. The burden of the law is just that, a burden that will weigh you down. The burden of grace is no burden at all, but only blessing. The law-based life brings with it a life of shame with heavy burdens and ends in death and permanent separation from God, a curse beyond our human comprehension. But a grace-based life is a blessing because it acknowledges that God is in control and that God's gift of salvation is permanent and the burden of sin is permanently removed from our lives. We are now permanently righteous, perfect, and secure in God's family. It says elsewhere in Scripture that Christ will sustain us. So that free gift is permanent. If the initial gift were given a qualifier such as, as long as you remain exceptional, then you can be in my kingdom we would be having a different talk. I would be preaching to you self-help principles. The title of my talk would be uh, 12 Ways to Make Sure You Are Secure in God's Family. I would be telling you how to earn your keep. But guess what? We can't earn our keep. God freely keeps us in his kingdom through his son 
who is actively sustaining us and protecting us. Let's move on to a summary of where we are and move on to application. Paul has told us three things. One, embracing the law as our hope nullifies grace. Basically, we must earn God's acceptance. Basically, if we must earn God's acceptance, then the gift is no longer free. And therefore, grace is no longer grace. Christianity is fundamentally changed. Two, embracing the law as our hope is foolish. It is simply not in line with our initial salvation experience and doesn't make any sense. From a logical standpoint, a historical standpoint, or a spiritual standpoint, to think we can earn our salvation is foolish. Three, embracing the law as our hope is to accept a curse. Relying on our adherence to the law for our salvation leads to a curse. Grace is the path to being blessed. Law following is the path to being cursed. Paul has really broken down the Galatians and left no room for pride. I can imagine being the Galatians and hearing this read to the group for the first time. I'd imagine they would have looked at each other and said, well, when you put it that way, I don't know what we were thinking. Now that Paul's got the Galatians, and I hope us, in a humbled state, let's consider application. First, let's not misunderstand Paul's message here. Paul tells us elsewhere that the message of grace does not communicate a gospel that invites you to sin all you want. No, the Christian life should and will be a life marked with repentance and a deep desire for obedience to Jesus. But our obedience is not the source of our grace. Grace is a source of our obedience. Paul tells us in Galatians 2 that we are a miraculous new creation in Christ Jesus. As these new creations, would we now desire and pursue a life of sin because we're under grace? No, that also doesn't make sense. Again, our submission to Christ has nothing to do with the earning of our salvation. Our submission to Christ is because of our salvation, which brings us back to grace. Look, I, I, I'll i be honest. I heard this description and truth about God's grace for years, and yet my heart and heart wanted to believe that there was something I was doing that was securing my adoption in God's family. Just like the Galatians, I wanted something tangible to make me feel like I was okay in the eyes of God to reassure me that I was doing all right. For me, that was building up head knowledge, um, studying the right doctrine and going to the right church. But that isn't the gospel. By the work of the Holy Spirit, God revealed true grace to me, and I repented of my worthless efforts to earn my salvation, and I put my faith in Christ alone. But even today, I constantly have to check the gospel that I am preaching to myself. I still find that my natural bent is to return to self-reliance. If I am obedient, I am prideful. If I am disobedient, I am despondent. The lies that creep in cause me to look for something tangible for hope. But guess what? There are tangible things that I can hold on to, that we can hold on to. And they are the promises of God. 
We worship a holy God who orchestrated history to fulfill his promises. We worship a holy God who orchestrated history to fulfill his promises. His promises are real and they are something that we can hold on to and put our trust in. Do you believe you are guiltless, Christian? Most of us can probably intellectually accept the theology of grace, but do you really believe it? Do you believe that all you need is God's grace? That God's grace is the end of it? That you are perfect? Despite your daily struggles with sin, you are constantly perfect in God's eyes. Do you really believe that? What gospel do you preach to yourself? Do you preach a gospel that says, I need to do just a little bit better and then God will accept me. I need to be a little less bad. I need to be a little more perfect. Then God will accept me. Guess what? None of that is true. God promises to accept you based on the merits of Christ, not your merits. God's promises are your hope, our hope. If you noticed earlier, when Paul discusses the promises to Abraham and how the scriptures had preached the gospel all along, Paul is pointing out that the star of the show was God. God is our hope. God is tangible. Between Genesis 15 and now, God has been ensuring that his promise to Abraham was fulfilled. That is our hope today. Our hope is in the promises of God. And he gave a promise to Abraham that had no fine print. God did not orchestrate history to have, to, to have some sort of half-measured approach. He didn't send his son to be beaten, mocked, scorned, tortured, hung on a tree, killed, and cursed for you to do more. Absolutely not. Your sins, past, present, and future, were credited to Christ's account on the cross when you repented and put your faith in Christ alone. They were permanently and fully punished. You don't have to do anything to earn that. Christ earned that. Lay down your burden, lay down your burdens at the feet of Jesus, because that is what God has already done. Christian, the burdens you are still carrying with you today are self-inflicted. The God of the universe, He orchestrated history to make sure that your burden of sin would be fully removed. If you are here today with a secret burden that you think can't be forgiven, guess what? If your faith is in God, he has already forgiven you. That is the freedom you now have in Christ. You are released from the law. When God justifies a repentant sinner, God declares that as far as he is concerned, that Christian is as righteous as his own son. You are as perfect as Jesus despite your sins. You are as perfect as Jesus. And that perfection is completely free of charge. Nothing you do or will do will affect that. You are permanent, permanently guiltless, righteous in the eyes of God and adopted into the family of God. That, Pillar Church, is grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace. We thank you that our salvation is not up to us. For we have all fallen short of satisfying the requirements of the law. 
we acknowledge that Christ sacrificed those requirements for us. Christ, your Son, took our curse, took our punishment. We rest in that today and pray that your grace would be a comfort to all of us. We pray that we would all believe you when you say we are now perfect. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, Pillar, and uh, may God's grace shine light in your life every day. May you rest in his grace. May you believe that you are guiltless in the eyes of God. You are fully accepted by God. Good morning, Pillar. Really good to see you. This morning I have the privilege of introducing the newest members of our family. And if you've been hanging around for any length of time, you know that at Pillar we love to talk about the church as family. That idea is all over the Bible from cover to cover. God, when he rescues us from our rebellion and the consequences of our rebellion, when we repent of that rebellion and we believe the good news of the gospel, this message of grace that we've been unpacking from Galatians, we are not just rescued from that rebellion. It's not like God has a bunch of individual followers on the globe who are trying to follow him. He actually adopts us into a family. So that's a spiritual reality. But the more you read the scripture, especially through the New Testament, you see that spiritual reality is always lived out in practice in a physical place with, with people face to face. So in every city around the globe, God has um, pockets of his family represented and we gather as that family. So, uh, man, the church's family is just a, this really big and beautiful idea all through scripture. So when we talk about membership, uh, we are just talking about our place in God's family. So we're rescued from our rebellion and by his grace, he adopts us into a family. So we have brothers in this family. We have sisters in this family. Some of them are younger than us. Some of them are older than us. We have members of our family who are, are shepherding us. And, and the Father, when we are adopted in, gives us gifts through the work of the Spirit. And the purpose of, those, purpose of those gifts is that we would serve our Father and represent Him well wherever we happen to, to live um, by serving people outside of the family and by serving our brothers and uh, sisters inside of the family. Uh, so as a family, we exist for our Father's fame and we exist for the good of those who are not yet adopted in, and we exist to love and serve each other as well. The family piece really, really matters. When the Father adopts us, He gives us a new name. We share His family name. We're given a new identity. We're given a new purpose. And we are, we are, we are gathered into this mission that the Father is living out. Uh, so we share all of those things in common as, as a family. And so we have six new members to introduce to you this morning. I'm going to share their names with you. You'll see their pictures on the screen. If you know them, I encourage you to reach out to them and welcome them to the family uh, personally. If you don't know them yet, boy, hopefully soon we'll be meeting again in person and you can seek them out and, and welcome uh, them into our family as well. So first up is Matt Bryant. I had the privilege of conducting uh, Matt's membership interview. He's excited to be a part of our family. And Matt, I just want you to know we're really excited to, to welcome you into our family as well. And then I'm going alphabetically. The next in line is a young man by the name of Cody Chick. And I shared uh, a meal with Cody uh, just before all this quarantine craziness started to happen. Really enjoyed hearing Cody's profession of faith. 
he's also very excited to be a part of our family. So Cody, uh, welcome to the family. Holly and Greg Harding have been had been spending uh, an increasing amount of time with us as a church family well before the quarantine happened. So perhaps many of you had gotten to know them already. And Holly and Greg, we're, we're so excited to have you uh, join our family. We're looking forward to getting to know you more and to, being, to serving you and to being served by you and serving Jesus along with you. So Holly and Greg, welcome to the family. Uh, next up is Steph Murphy. Steph, um, I believe the guy who's preaching today, Dave, I think Dave and his wife conducted your membership interview, I think, um, but I remember, I remember the recommendation that we received um, just based upon your profession of faith and your desire to be a part of the family. We're stoked to have you along with these new members, uh, looking forward to getting to know you and to being a faithful family to you. And then finally on my list this morning is a young man by the name of Andrew Williams, Andrew, I remember the first time you walked into our, our gathering, really just a couple weeks before the whole quarantine thing happened. You are an encouraging uh, young man. Your love for Jesus was obvious, and your desire to partner in a meaningful way with the church uh, was so apparent to me and to others who, who met you and talked with you. So uh, I know you're already connected with an MC, and you're already uh, existing for the good of others in our family. So thank you for that, and also to you, welcome to our family. So to all of you, our desire is that we would honor our Father well by being a faithful family to you, loving you, encouraging you, holding you accountable, serving you in difficult seasons, uh, laughing with you, crying with you, and just, just sharing life and living on mission with you. And to each of you, my hope for you is that you will find a meaningful expression for the gifts that our Father has given you within the life of our church, that you will find not just a breadth of relationship, but a depth of relationship as well and that you will be able to connect with us as we live on mission, on our Father's behalf, for the fame of our older brother and rescuing King Jesus, and through the power of His Spirit. So family, uh, let's welcome these people to our, our imperfect, uh, saved by grace family of missionary servants. Thanks. Thanks.